What's up, everybody? Before we get into today's show, I've got another ad for you, and it is for Nuclear Now. Listen to this. Legendary Academy Award-winning director Oliver Stone is back with Nuclear Now, his first film in seven years, coming exclusively to theaters across the USA and Canada, beginning on April 28th. That's the end of this month. Based on the book, A Bright Future, written by award-winning scholar of international relations, Professor Joshua S. Goldstein, who also co-wrote the film, Nuclear Now explores the possibility for the global community to overcome the challenges of climate change and energy poverty to reach a brighter future through the power of nuclear energy, an option that may become the only viable way to ensure our continued survival sooner than we think. With unprecedented access to the nuclear industry in France, Russia, and the United States, director Oliver Stone delivers a revolutionary documentary that Variety has called an intensely compelling must-see film. It opens in New York and Los Angeles on April 28th with a special one-day screening events across North America on Nuclear Now Day, May 1st, that you don't want to miss. Visit nuclearnowfilm.com to learn more. And by the way, you can find that website hyperlinked in the show notes. Now, on with the show. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Nuclear Barbarians. It is I, your nuclear barbarian, Emmett Penny, and I am here with the sunniest dude I know, Grant Dever, the king of eternal optimism. What is up, my guy? How you doing? <laughs> What's up? I'm doing great. It's great to be here, Emmett. Thank you so much for inviting me. Uh, you know, we've we've been trying to make this happen for a minute, and I'm yeah. so glad to be here. No, I'm glad it, I'm glad we finally put the time uh, aside to make it happen. So I want to talk to you about uh, something you wrote for the FreeOp blog about nuclear in Texas. Before we get into that, before we get to the Lone Star State splitting more atoms, uh, let me ask you a little bit about yourself. So I know a little bit about you from our time hanging out in Indie Thinkers together during the pandemic when everybody was living indoors. But like, what's your story? How did you, everybody has a story for how they get to nuclear because it's not, it's not like supporting renewables or whatever, where you're just like, yeah, you just do. So tell me that story. Yeah, it's interesting. So I've, uh, growing up, I was definitely a bit of just an environmentalist in general. And I think it kind of happened in a very benign way. You know, I was in um, New York state public schools. So there's definitely a lot of talk about climate, you know, mm -hmm. uh, an inconvenient truth was a big thing. I'm pretty sure we watched it 
in, in class at some point. Um, I joined the green team when I got into high school and me and my Sick. friends basically ran that organization. Yeah, it was fun, but that was all, that was all great stuff. I mean, uh, definitely spent a lot of time recycling things in ways that were probably not good for the environment. Um, sure, but sure, you know, yeah. it, but you know, we, we did feel like stewards. Um, the, the things that we did that were really great, uh, was we would go and clean up, um, different parks around, you know, he'd spend oh, like morning on a Saturday important. going and picking up stuff. Yeah, no, that was great. And it was a lot of fun. You know, I definitely recommend people get involved with those kinds of things just because, you know, it, it feels good. Like you get outside, you're hanging with people, you know, you're at the margin doing something very tangible and visceral to, mm -hmm. the, you know, be a good steward of the environment. Um, so anyway, I was in the green team. Didn't really definitely didn't know anything about economics, didn't know anything really about sustainability. At that point, mm -hmm. a lot of this technology wasn't really scaling, you know, it was more like this is clearly the solution and, you know, uh, fossil fuels are bad and, you know, all this kind of thing, mm -hmm. but, mm -hmm. but wasn't really deep into it. Um, kind of continued that when I, um, when I attended the university of Rochester there, I studied economics and business, um, graduated with a business degree because I wanted to go study abroad in Vienna, Austria. Totally, totally worth it. Definitely, definitely the, the right choice. Um, but when I was there, I became an eco rep, um, which mm -hmm. was also a great decision uh, because basically it was like a freshman on every single freshman hall was in charge of being like the sustainability advocate. Um, mm. And there I dove deeper into some of these issues, still didn't get the economics piece, you know, it was very much just like high modernist, like, here's the obvious solution, we figured it out, like, mm -hmm. this is evil, this is good, let's go. Um, but I don't know, I, I don't feel like I learned a whole lot from that. And then to getting to nuclear, um, specifically, I think it was a bit on my radar, I was hearing some unconventional arguments um, from this one professor, Professor Rizzo, I didn't take the um, in environmental economics course, huge mistake, should have done that. Um, but from my friends who are in the class who are being challenged in these different ways, you know, we mm -hmm. we were just nerds. So we'd talk about, um, you know, he, he was like, what are, what's the opportunity cost for this? You know, True, um, yeah. he was very critical of recycling in particular and whether or not that made sense and was even good for the environment, particularly in New York, where we were definitely subsidizing that activity very heavily. Oh, yeah. um, but that kind of got me interested. And then I think I really started to look at um, at nuclear during Andrew Yang's run for president because he- Dude, he like, got people, so many people into it. He got so many yeah. people turned on. I don't think we talk enough about how the Yang gang got hardcore nuke pilled. Yeah, they did. They did. And it was, and it was like this thing, like, I mean, his campaign, I definitely have a lot of like criticisms of where it went. Sure. You know, I was, I was definitely defending- defending him against people being like, these are bad arguments. And I was like, no, but his book is actually really good. Like, I think the <laughs> yeah. way that they tried to portray themselves in media uh, and like popular media and like the quips and all that was actually much inferior to like the rigor of his thought um, both in his book and um, and the extensive policy platform that he had, you know? So he was a big thorium reactor guy. I was like, oh, mm -hmm. I haven't even really considered nuclear at this point. I don't know anything about the grid, you know, to the extent that I know anything about the grid now, which is like, sure, you know, yeah. still- Yeah, uh, no, you know, I, dude, I'm um, there with uh, you. I learn more every day. And, and, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but uh, at the time, you know, I, I looked into that and then, you know, I definitely, um, you know, I've learned so much and I'd say 
definitely the, you know, since COVID, um, a lot of that attributed to connecting to you and just we're, we're at this thing, indiethinkers.org we referred to earlier. And it was essentially a group of people online during COVID who are interested in ideas and writing about them, trying to build audiences. Um, we connected over these work sessions and, you know, I wasn't particularly, you know, following anything related to energy other than your work, just because we were on Twitter and you'd publish <laughs> things and I'd read them. So you brought me along. And then this all really accelerated when I moved to Austin um, and you and Mark and Paris hit me up. And, you know, at the time, all these, you know, activists in different countries and states are petitioning to shut down active nuclear plants. No one was trying to do that in Texas, but with Stand Up for Nuclear, you guys are trying to organize people to, you know, have have someone there to defend and, you know, an email list and people who care about uh, nuclear um, and get it. Um, on the ground and you guys reached out to me because I was your your guy in Texas. I just moved here a week or two before. Dude, I remember really that. I remember you were just like, yeah, I mean, uh, I go to these hangouts in Austin so I can talk to people. And I was like, great, good enough. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's, that's good enough. I was like, maybe I'll talk to students and get them involved. I know one guy who's like a big Nixon head and because of that, he's like pro-nuclear. Like I can, I can get some people together. Um, but I ended up, um, oh, I guess the other thing that got me into energy, which, which, you know, it was like, I got into energy and I got into nuclear kind of at the same time. And then mm -hmm. have continued learning more and more was Bitcoin. Um, during 2020, I very totally. much fell down the Bitcoin rabbit hole and just learning as much as of that, uh, about that as I could. And obviously there's a lot of environment, there's a lot of environmental FUD against Bitcoin. Um, mm -hmm. and there are these people like Nick Carter and some of these other people who I found particularly interesting and engaging talking about, um, you know, how those were not really good arguments. They were more a reflection of like, you know, our inability to expand the energy supply and like this yep. overregulation, both at like permitting NRC, all of this, um, so I was like, oh, you know, I, I did move to Texas. A lot of people here obviously care about energy. And then these yeah. Bitcoin people really care about energy. And I'm going to meetups with them all the time. So I, I reached out to some people in there, started posting this telegram. Um, you know, the event ended up, I ended up getting like 20 to 30 people to come to a couple meetups to talk about this. I really did not know anything at that time about transmission or any sure, of this yeah. stuff. I said some yeah, silly all the things, specific. you know. You just you just ride yeah. on vibes. <laughs> I was just just raw vibes, just being like, this is this is good, um, you know, and and you know, just it shouldn't be illegal, you know, like let's let these things compete, let's create sure. uh, a regulatory environment, and where it makes sense, it makes sense. Where it doesn't, it doesn't, you know. Like I'm I'm open to to it not being uh, the solution for everything everywhere, but you mm -hmm. know, my my position was is is has stayed like I'm in favor, and it's very good, um, but. Uh, from that, the president of FreeOp, um, Ovik Roy, uh, reached out to me because he's, you know, he's spoken at Bitcoin Miami. He's definitely a Bitcoin guy. Um, he has a think tank, the Foundation for Research on Equal Opportunity. And he was like, you know, you're interested in nuclear power. You're interested in Bitcoin. I looked at your sub stack and you can write. You should come work for us. Um, you know, so it's awesome. been a part time gig. But um, yeah, it all started because, you know, I decided to do some work for free. Crazy. You know, um, this, is, this is actually not an uncommon story uh, for mm -hmm. those of you who haven't, haven't uh, you know, had to grind your way into some, you know, work opportunity before. This is generally how things, how things work, at least good things. Yeah, um, for sure. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so then, you know, over the last 
like a bit over a year, like last 14 months, I've been dig digging in deeper and, you know, continuing on that journey and have published a couple long form articles, uh, one research paper and a bunch of blogs and, and tweets um, about the, you know, as part of the nuclear advocacy uh, program. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I loved your you. So I'll put this in the show notes too. I know we're going to talk about the Texas thing, but you did a great thing on Fukushima and safety and stuff like that. That was a well researched, great article. I remember at one point I was just like, ah, the, like yeah, the student has surpassed the master, such that I could ever be one. Because you're just like, what about this thing with Fukushima? And I was just like, yeah, I have no idea. You're going to have to figure <laughs> that out on your own, buddy. I do not know. Um, so yeah, people can check that out in the show notes. I think I even cited it in one of my American Affairs pieces. But um, yeah, I mean, I think it's sort of like your story is a really uh, cool one of how it's a very rare one, right? Like, so the episode before this, I was talking to Paris uh, Ortiz Wines, mutual friend of ours, and you know, we were talking about the pivot from doomerism to like nuclear hope. And we'll talk about this later in the episode, but that's usually the trajectory. You've always been like, let's go, like, let's figure out the solution. Let's get mission oriented. You know, like, that's my impression of you that you're like, well, these things might be difficult or bad, but like we're doing it. And that seems that's the vibe I got from your thing about Texas, where you're like, there is no reason Texas should not have way more nuclear plants. So yes. let's talk about that piece. Like I read that piece and I was like, coherent i'm down i mean i'm down for nuclear pretty much any and everywhere but like why isn't this happening more in texas and obviously there's a federal component and there's some other stuff going around so why don't you just like walk me through the piece for the listeners and by the way again everybody in the show notes if you want to dig in yeah so you know i would essentially the argument in the piece is that um you know so the texas legislature is in session or you know about to start making moves again and that only happens every two years um and we've been kind of talking you know i've been talking with people especially since the invasion of ukraine it's very mm -hmm. evident the, the um you know how important it is that we have natural gas and like obviously mm -hmm. it's a huge potential export um you know it's a huge industry but also there's so much more that can be done as far as exports um of liquefied natural gas to not sure. only, you know, Germany and, and these other countries abroad, but even to New England, um, where they very much need natural gas to back up their current um, energy mix and make sure that the power stays on <laughs> and they burn less diesel during um, yeah. winter, you know. Yeah. Um, so so and I, I talked to some people offline, you know, who are in oil and gas and, you know, they're interested in, in nuclear. I'm like, you know, I don't I don't think anyone or I'm sure there are some people who view it as some kind of like zero sum adversarial type thing you know they they mm -hmm. like that nuclear is illegal um you know functionally um obviously yeah. there are operational nuclear plants but we're, we're not building anywhere near as many of them as, as we could and should be um yeah. and the kind of hook for that piece um was the you know approval of the design for new scales yep. smr uh, or at least one of them and you know Hopefully there's more of that, you know, hopefully that there is some, some push, you know, it, it, you know, the kind of crazy thing is that, um, I think, you know, in the Biden or in the Obama administration, in the Trump administration in the Biden administration, there are lots of pro-nuclear people there, you know, like sure. as far as executives and people who are appointed. So it is this kind of weird thing where it's like, well, why isn't it, 
happening? You know, yeah. why can't we make this this happen? Like we're we're all like like if you read if you read the, the tweets coming out of these offices, if you read the things that they're writing, like they don't sound too different. You know, the tone is a bit different, but they don't sound too different from you and I. Mm -hmm. Um, so how can we how can we get there? Um so the, with the goal with the piece was just pushing forward this, you know, narrative like, hey, we got these designs approved, you know, there's like, let's hope, you know, I'm optimistic, let's let's start printing these things out, let's start building um, that, that nuclear baseload capacity, let's bring it into Texas. I've already written about how I think um, having more nuclear would be really good for grid resiliency and all these issues that are mm -hmm. hot button political topics. Um, and in that piece, I'm like, let's, you know, let's remove any excessive regulations that may exist within Texas to mm -hmm. onboarding these. Like, let's make sure once the NRC gets out of the way, you know, one way or another, or, you know, we figure out some way to to approve approve these new reactors and get them in, that uh, Texas is ready. You know, we're ready to ride up that, that curve. We're ready to, you know, increase uh, our supply of low carbon baseload energy. And it's not this adversarial Thing at all because there is so much demand for texas liquefied natural gas and you know we're going to get those lng terminals approved as well and you know texas is just going to be so positioned to to thrive in our new energy mm -hmm. paradigm that's that's kind of the pitch um mm -hmm. so yeah there's a lot of different work yeah i mean try to make that, that sort real. of sort of makes sense to me like one of the things and i don't know a lot about this but i've sort of had brief conversations with people in the energy industry, and I'm wondering just how harmonized the domestic market for natural gas will be in America with the international market, and if we're going to see more of that in the future, in which case it would be really beneficial for a grid awash in natural gas generators <laughs> to start building a form of baseload that's low carbon. Yeah, yeah. And I think as as far as this like pitch for Texas too, as being a place where it's like we're shell, you know, in Texas, you're sheltered from like this excessive regulation. You, you know, mm -hmm. we're we're a place that's good for business. You know, there's a lot of talk in many circles about um, you know, onshoring lots of mm -hmm. um, you know, industry and different things. There's people you know, myself included, uh, people have become acquainted with the idea of a supply chain and that um, sometimes it's not just seamlessly working. You know, there's a lot going on there. And, uh, you know, the, the kind of quip I have, um, not related to taxes at all. I think this is the 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 mis misnomer, but we're all in some sense, we're all supply siders now. Like we at least realize <laughs> that if things don't get if things don't get made, um, they become very expensive. You know, like, yeah, like no one yeah. should really be disputed disputing that. Um, we we all learned that the hard way. I don't think that like I know that I'm familiar with the arguments about how that has to do with tax policy and stuff, but it's mostly has to do with regulatory policy and whether or not you can you can build things and whether or not yes. that's, that's legal. Um of course, there are other considerations, but that's that's like the big bottle. Yeah, it's not monocausal, here. but you can't deny that that's like a huge aspect, right? Like no, like nobody's going to be like, yeah, NEPA isn't a problem. Yeah, yeah, right. And, like and anybody think, who wants to build anything substantial is like running into those issues. And and a piece that I'm I I you know one of the proposed ideas I have I have I have a lot um for for things I could write for free op is is making the case that this permitting reform is necessary even if you are a total like renewables plus batteries maximalist like if that mm -hmm. if you think that is what's necessary like the only way you're going to be able to compete um and not 
you know, just throw everyone into energy poverty or worse is with permitting, with making these things easier to build, um, with reducing litigation costs and all these kinds of things. So um, there's actually some uh, bills being proposed or, you know, so there's mm -hmm. one bill, but then it's going to get split up into many in the House um, being proposed by a bar bipartisan set of um congress this people. is in the texas um, the texas house right not the no no in the, in the okay. yeah in the federal in the federal government so it's like the lower cost of energy act i believe is how it's being framed oh, yeah, yeah. um mm -hmm. and it's essentially that's like hr1 right yeah hr1 yeah, yeah that's right okay so yeah so essentially you know the republicans got all the their people on board with a series of reforms that they want to see um and, you know, there are definitely people uh, in, uh, among the Democrats who are interested in these as well. I think a lot of these ideas were the kinds of things that Joe Manchin was essentially promised would pass after the IRA. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he said some things about he he doesn't want the big bill. He wants the piecemeal. But right now, you know, it's going to be some politics. We're in for some politics before some policy. But I think a lot of the ideas are are very good. And anyway, the, yeah, I, I kind of want to make that case that even if you want to see a, a very different transformation, we need this regulatory reform. Um, and there's definitely some some good, um, you know, mm -hmm. liberals like myself and and people who identify as progressives who are are in favor of of these kind of reforms as well. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really uh, interesting tension I've been observing sort of play out with the Biden administration, whether it's like the oil stuff in Alaska or. Um, you know, the stuff with the right whales off the East Coast, like the collision between the climate oriented environmental side and then like the conservation environmental side. And there seems to be like it's it seems to be as if like nobody really thought there were conflicts there until they've arrived. And that's and that's all like permitting reform is all tied up in that. Right. Like that's that's the, like these groups, like the big four Sierra Club, NRDC, Friends of the Earth, Greenpeace or whatever, like they all push for all renewables all the time. And then at the chapter level, like fight tooth and nail to stop it. Yep. It is fascinating to watch. Like, I don't know what you think about that as somebody who has come up through um sort of environmental stuff you've always had that concern you've been consistent about that your whole time like how do you think about this this dance this balance between these things yeah i think you know so it's it's hard for me to know what i think really the ideal policy is for some of this a lot of the proposed reforms are essentially like FERC should be in charge and FERC should be the one that has like the final authority in a lot of these questions mm -hmm. um just streamlining you know the amount of you know, the amount of reports that need to be produced and sure, like, yeah. how many times things can, people can be asked to, you know, get us more information, fill this thing out. Um, all of that just seemed good to me. Uh, as far as like the federal versus local piece, um, I have mixed feelings, you know, like it's, I, you know, and this is, this is partially why I'm so big on nuclear, just because the mm -hmm. land use question I think is yeah. very underappreciated, you know, and, and, you know, even beyond the frictions of people who are more concerned about CO2 versus like conserving land from, you know, both from kind of like a nominally Democrat perspective, mm -hmm. there's this whole other piece of people who are living inside of these metropolises that are voting for 
you know, a, a grid that's increasingly, you know, where that they believe is going to be increasingly just renewables plus batteries. Um, and the tension with the people who live outside of the those cities who are like, I don't want these wind turbines yeah, in my they backyard. They have to basically like bear the physical cost of that allocation, right? Like that's and and it's not a coherent, you know, like these people are not a coalition. If anything, a lot of the rhetoric on the sides of these things is very hostile. And then mm -hmm. it is like, you know, it is very much this like, you know, uh, you know, agency problem where, you know, winners, winners and losers, like, you know, I don't want, you know, I don't want the wind, wind farm built in Martha's vineyard, you know, because that's my backyard. But like, if you're mad about it, building it and whatever, some suburb, rural suburb, then like you're a bad person who just thinks we should be using coal, you know, sure. and, and I think that nuclear kind of is, you know, I, I'm sure there are some people who believe that that's obviously a simplification, just trying to, you know, frame, no. frame some yeah, size yeah. of the debate. But, um, but, you know, this is why I think nuclear um, is, is such a great solution just because like, you know, kind of another quip I've had for a while is like when people talk about land use, like lands, land use is just a euphemism for ecosystems, you know, like, oh, we're going to mm -hmm. use all of this land. It's like, well, you know, you're going to use all these ecosystems to do this. Like there are mm -hmm. environmental costs there. It's very complex. We don't know what all the consequences of, you know, lining some field with solar panels are. Um, and you can't and, you know, know. You can't can know until after, right? Like some things might be obvious, but not everything's going to be obvious. And that's not to post FUD. That's to really ask about quantity and quality trade-offs, right? Like that's the and, real discussion. And I would say that, um, you know, I would say like the one thing that's become clear to me, just learning more about transmission and the grid is there's, there's always the, like, it's very common that I'll talk to someone who it, it comes from an engineering background, um, you know, in this, in the sense that like, uh, like this min max, like spreadsheet kind of mode, mm -hmm. um, as opposed to like someone who's engineering these complex systems directly. Right. Um, right. Right. But like who, who believes like, well, actually, you know, there's so much land true fact check true. And like a lot of, you know, we don't care about the Sahara desert or something. We can just build like the biggest solar farm ever. It'll never impact anyone. And then like, we'll just transmit it all across the, which is like, I'm just like, no, you need to look into that more, like what that would mean politically, let alone even just at the raw engineering level. Well, raw engineering. Um, and then it's like, who's going to take care of it? It's like, there's a whole operation side to this yeah, too. It's like totally gets, it, it's sort of like, it's just like, it's field of dreams, right? It's like build it and they will come. And it's like, yeah, the transmission yeah. lines don't just show up. You know, the guys who clean yeah. up the panels don't just show up like they have to live somewhere like that's that's a whole we're talking about a whole outlet here, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, so I'm, I'm there with you on that. Like when Paris and I were talking, we were talking about sort of like how young people approach this issue. Um, and one of the things that I've always valued about you, I brought this up at the beginning, is that you have always been like, we'll figure it out, right? Like I am way more pessimistic than you based on our interactions, yeah. right? And that's fine, right? World takes all <laughs> kinds. Uh, it does, it does. You know, so talk to me about that. Like, what are you seeing in your age cohort and younger, especially because you live in Austin still, right? Like that's where, that's where you're based. Yeah. Around these discussions of the environment and energy, because I feel like, 
things have been changing in the discourse post Ukraine, but I think we oversimplify how they've been changing. So tell me what you've been seeing. Yeah, um, I guess to just start as kind of a caveat, just because I think it is like an important part of the story is I was, you know, I've generally like I think I'm I'm prone to optimism, um, but I have had my doomer moments. I would say I kind of went sure. through like uh, nothing is possible, like politics is the only solution and it's not going to work, you know, kind of, kind <laughs> yeah, of phase. Sure. big, big, big. Big, uh, you know, definitely was a big Bernie bro. Um, you know, had my my hopes and dreams of the political revolution uh, shattered before my very eyes. Maybe it yeah. was good. Um, but yeah, maybe, but, it was you good. Know, yeah I, maybe that was good. Um, you were you were listening um, heavily to my old podcast, Exhaust. About why yeah, yeah, was yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. So I was very tuned, very tuned into that. Um, and I did. Uh, for me, a lot of my kind of reframe actually came from me starting. Uh, a role as a co-founder of the uh, Barbara J. Berger iZone at the University of Rochester, which was an incubator targeted at um, the undergraduate population, very early stage, just, you know, what's your idea? We had lots of things that were businesses, but also art projects and this like social entrepreneurship, nonprofit work. Um, and that, like, I went from being in a kind of like low agency, everyone very focused on like politics and like, you know, we're one like big election away from everything being good. Spoiler alert, not true. Um, yeah, and, never uh, true. Even, even if you, yeah, it yeah never, never true. true. Like not just, not just like the Bernie revolution didn't happen, but like, even if it did happen, it wouldn't have been what yeah. we all wanted it to be or something like yeah, that. Yeah. It's, it's not going to be the Burlington, Burlington, Vermont Connate of socialized medicine. Or whatever, you know? Yeah. 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 It's, so, you know, so just like a reframe on that, but I think that was a very like, low agency kind of like alienating worldview that I was occupying. And then I went from being, you know, in this space where I was just surrounded by brilliant young people, you know, a lot of silly ideas, of course, but like great, sure. you know, energizing people, trying to do things, figure out learning things in the world. Um, also, it's a very international school. So it's like students from everywhere, you know, mm -hmm. students are coming to me and they're like, I live in this, you know, country in Africa. I received money from the UN to like do like a, um, like peace studies kind of curriculum to like mm -hmm. help to make like my country more safe. You know, it's just like, okay, that's cool. I'll try to help you the best I can. I don't know anything about that, but like, let's yeah, see what sure. resources let's are see. available. Let me connect you to things. And like, this is awesome. So anyway, that definitely reframed me to be more optimistic because, you know, it's kind of like you do see there are these people who are familiar with problems at like a local level. They're interested mm -hmm. in solving them. Um, they're very smart. They're optimistic. And I think that that was a big reframe for for me and how, how I approach a lot of things in the world. Um, I definitely have my moments where I'm still, uh, you know, uh, a thousand, you know, ten thousand feet in the air, like looking down, and I'm sure, like, yeah. looks kind of bleak, you know, yeah, like that's yeah, yeah. that's real. Um, but I would say that in general, I do think there there is more optimism on on many things. I mean, I think the, you know, the war in Ukraine and the invasion. Um, very much that was definitely a moment where i was like oof humanity just entered a lower equilibrium you know like sure, i don't think yeah, it really yeah. like like we may be able to reorient but like that was clearly a a blow to to the optimist you know like we'll see what happens but everything became more expensive you know prospects of like really negative outcomes became higher like it's just like not good for some like aggregate humanity um but i do think as far as like environmental policy and you know what like, you know, I, I think there are, there are definitely people who still 
are extremely antagonistic to natural gas and oil and like their role in creating like modernity and like preserving like the quality of life that we have. Like Mm -hmm. there are certainly people who don't get it, but I think there are, I think people are more open and understanding to like having these conversations because they've experienced like the absence, you know, they've experienced like a higher scarcity. Um, Mm -hmm. And then from that, like, I think, you know, talking to people about the trade-offs of things and like what is what is possible and how nuclear can play a role in that. I think people are generally receptive, but I I think a lot, you know, the thing that's tough right now, and I think some of the statistics about like declining, um, I forget exactly what the measure is, but like expected lifetime in like the mm-hmm. US, like there's a graph about it just like collapsing. And a lot of that is both like suicides and overdoses and, you know, the overlap yeah. between between those two things. There definitely is a lot of despair. Um, and I think some of that is just a culture that is, um, you know, surrounded with very negative imagery and um, and like activities that are very like low agency, you know, like I'm not a TikTok user. I don't think it's like the the cause of all problems, but you know, to the extent that I've been in like lower agency, like scrolling times in my life, I know mm-hmm. it's bad for you, you know, in the short yeah, time. Right. Like, I, don't, I don't need, yeah, it's bad for you. Like, I think we could just say yeah. that like, it, it yeah. doesn't even like, I don't, TikTok... I don't need science to tell me that like, it does a specific thing to your brain to know that like, you when know, it I'm does in that kind of loop. Like when I'm in that kind of loop, it's bad for my mental health and, and for everything that's like genuinely important and good in my life. And like when I'm in periods where like I have a mission, I have a purpose, I like Mm -hmm. know what I have to do the next day. That is like the time that is like most conducive to like broad well-being. Um, So I I think, think and I think there's there's some understanding of that. I think that that's really true. And like what type of mission matters, right? Like, I think that that's another thing. Like, it's not just any mission will do, you know, like it matters the how and almost the aesthetic of the mission, like what it does to your spirit. I mean, I think that that sort of brought both of us into nuclear uh, through different avenues and different ways. Um, And that I think is sort of like the difference between people who are trying to live in a solution and people who are trying to live in a, in a problem, right? Mm -hmm. Like living in a problem is its own mission, right? It's a permanent crisis and it will never not be a crisis and it will always require exceptional things that you will never achieve, you know? And like, that is, I think that mindset is way more conducive to like doom scroll America. Totally. And I think something that is good perspective for like, I I think this is even about, this was extremely valuable for me, even having been in the policy space and asking a lot of these questions and looking at these things. Um, As I did get dinner with Barbara J. Berger, who's the donor who, um, you know, endowed the program that I built in the university of Mm -hmm. Rochester, co, you know, co-founded, co-built. Um, and she led, uh, she was the president of innovation at Chevron for like Mm. a ton of years. She did like 30 plus years there. And, you know, after being in the space for a bit, I was like asking her questions about different technologies. You know, what do you think of that? You know, what, what about hydrogen? You know, what about Mm. all these things, just trying to get a sense of her perspective. And I think that's something Um, which demonstrates this like project level thinking and this like sense of agency of like someone who has like 
funded things and collaborated with people and like managed projects to like will critical infrastructure into existence is just, you know, like I would say her, her gut response and reaction is like, it depends on the circumstances. Like show me like what you're trying to do, what the budget is, like what problem yeah. is this solving Get specific. extremely local capacity. And like, like, and then I can tell you whether or not I would like fund the project, you know, like it's not like, this, you know, we're going to have this and this is what the composition is going to be like. And it works everywhere. And it's, it's the same for everyone. Like, you know, a couple decades of like handling projects will just shake that out of you, you know? Mm -hmm. So obviously it's easier to talk about it than it is to, to have that like perspective hardwired into you. But I think that that's something for people to try to mull on. And I'm sure you can read biographies and things like that, that would, you know, drive home some of that, or just talk to, you know, people who have built things in your life, you know, and maybe some of yeah. them are like your grandma or your grandpa and you should call them, but like, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for uh, real, for real. No, I think, I think that's really true. Right. Like, I think, I think people make this mistake, right. Where it's sort of like anger and urgency will give you the confidence you need to do the difficult thing when really it's like prudence and humility, like, bolster that so much more right like because they also put you in a place where you're like okay i need help with these things right like you can almost like itemize ways in which you do have agency and ways in which you need help way more coherently than being like i don't give a shit i'm going all the way right like the the movie version of andreas malm's how to blow up a pipeline is coming out yeah. you know and it's like very clearly to me like that is born of like resentful, terrified thinking with like a total lack of humility, you know, <laughs> like yeah. that, and it's, that's what that comes out of. And it's not like, you know, it's not endearing to the people who like you need to actually help you do things. Also just kind of like a caveat side point. This, and this is like falls in a category of like, advice that i'm better at giving than actually uh <laughs> yeah like using that's, that's true for most uh, advice i give by the yeah, way so that's yeah, fine yeah yeah <laughs> many many such cases but i would say that the um is like you know for these things where you're like oh i don't have the the agency in the sense that like i i believe this thing needs to get done i couldn't get it done myself um but actually framing questions or framing asks being like, you know, find the person who you think can help you and have a very specific request of them is the only way that you get anything done. Like I've had so many conversations with people about job searches and things like that. And they're like, so what are you interested in? Or what do you want to do? And I just like ramble for, you know, 15, 10, 15 minutes answering questions. And they're like, you know, what they want you to do is to go to them and be like, this is what I want to do. Could you connect me to any of these people? You know, mm -hmm. that would be helpful, you know? Uh, so just in general, if you can frame things into something that's easier for someone to directly take action on, that's the way you get things done. <laughs> yeah, no, for real. I think that's very true. I mean, I think right now we're sort of entering a weird moment where it's like, I think that there was this paradigm that was building since maybe 2011 and then really had its like apex when Trump got elected. And now it's been like six years since that's happened, where it seems like um, it's like the dust is clearing on a lot of fights, a lot of battlegrounds. And people are like, what did, what have we been doing? 
Like what is going on? And I think that's true for energy too. Like, I think for me, like the inflation reduction act, like there's a lot I don't like about it. I'm not going to get into like a whole partisan thing about it here. But I think if you're like a, the wind, solar plus batteries cloud, crowd, if you can't pull it off after this, like you have to do some like serious soul searching. Like, it, you know, like that amount of money getting handed out, that amount of leeway, you know, being given to you. And if you and all your arguments about how fast all of this can go. Yeah. And if that doesn't pan out, then it's like, okay, what are we really doing? Yeah. And outside of the permitting stuff, like, you know, like more money isn't going to solve, like to your point, like more money isn't going to like solve that problem. Like it's mm -hmm. kind of like my joke about this is like, you know, uh, bipartisan, you know, Joe Biden signed and passed mm -hmm. uh, the Inflation Reduction Act, which is basically like the Green New Deal in Washington. Like that's what it looks like once like people get to go through it. So now we're all kind of at the point where we're like, you know, not, ex you know, not free market capitalism, but like markets with all of these incentives and things, you know, now they have to do the work, you know, like that's, that's really where we're at. Like people understand that like now businesses are going to try to solve these, these problems to like, you know, make money. And, you know, as far as um, policy on that front, it's, it's, like that, I don't expect that that's going to be where a lot, like people may still be amplifying like climate, like apocalyptic kind of rhetoric to, you know, try to scare mm -hmm. people into action. But like really where we're at is like, now it's like the people, you know, putting in the groundwork, those like project-based things to like yeah, turn this put up or shut up time in, into reality. Like that's, that's where we're at. Um, I thought there was, oh, one, one thing that I just wanted to say as far as like, um, you know, where we are in like a historical moment, like, you know, no one really knows where things are going from a macro standpoint, like no one, I'm just putting mm -hmm. that out there. Like I, I follow enough of these people, everyone has their ideas. Sure. But, yeah. Um, you know, it's, it seems very possible that uh, we might have, in, you know, interest rates will continue to rise and inflation will be persistent. And that's just like a very different environment for like building things. Yeah. Um, I think there that is has a going huge to be effect. A and, and I think there's going to be a whole lot of um, recontextualizing of like what kind of the long 2010s were, you know, like a lot, you know, whether it's Obama or Trump, you know, I'm, I'm a nonpartisan, but regardless, not conflating the two, they're obviously very different. But mm -hmm. but, you know, a lot of people had their guy win and exercise a lot of power to realize that vision. And people are very happy with that. And I think it, it might not be that hard to even look at like what Biden's dealing with or, who you know, whoever's president in 2024 and be like, oh, their ability to do things is extremely constrained by these like yeah. external macro factors. And like, if we go back and look at the long 2010s, uh, like maybe we should have asked for more, you know, like maybe there was, there was a great or opportunity there and like everyone. Yeah. Yeah. But like there were, there were opportunities that no longer exist that existed then. And mm. if you look at it, it was like, like, I think a lot of them are, are missed opportunities in the same way that I would say like excluding this permitting reform from the IRA was actually like a huge own goal because like what right. we're going to, what's going to end up happening is this money is flowing in and, you know, I forget what they call it. It's like, I think cost disease socialism or something. Mm -hmm. It's like the like yeah. kind of supply side progressive thing where they're like, you know, nominally we want to build all this infrastructure, but like without the permitting reform, all we're doing is like giving money to companies to give it to lawyers, to fight other lawyers, 
So right, like exactly. the government is like fighting the people we're giving money and it just like yeah. doesn't result in the things that we want. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely right. And I think you're right about the macro factors. I mean, there is just over the past like year or so, especially since I started working on Grid Brief, I've gotten so humbled by like how big and complicated all of this is. Like it was not a moment of epistemic victory for me overall. You know, I yeah, was yeah, like, yeah. I have no idea how this is going to go. Like I, and that ended up not being demoralizing, right? Where I was just like, that means there are so many opportunities to learn and learn from other people, right? And to sort of like start to figure out how to rethink all of this stuff, right? Like it's an opportunity, not a defeat. So I think like, you're absolutely right. I hope that our conversation has like given people like a different look, <laughs> uh, at least sharing sort of our stories about this, uh, about how to go forward with this, because I think, you know, we're really about to enter. I just feel like we're about to enter this like phase of new and hopefully more serious debates than what I've seen over the last six years. And, and I think it is a time of great, opportunity um mm -hmm. you know a, a lot of it is in the midst of of these things being bad or or uncertain you know so i know that there's a lot of like great people um who are currently looking for jobs right now who are extremely talented mm -hmm. and like just need to be able to pay the rent and get back to work and you know so if you're if if you have you know if you have money or or you know if you're positioned to like build a company right now like you know like i i would encourage people to um to be open-minded, you know, there's a lot of big conservative companies that are like afraid to take any risks who are not hiring interesting people with like awesome mm -hmm. backgrounds who are extremely competent. I'm, I have full conviction that those people are going to find places for themselves and they're going to build awesome things. Um, so that's a big opportunity. I think also both of the political parties are essentially uh, major political parties are in civil war, whether or not they want to talk about it. Um, there's a lot of opportunity there as well. So for like, sure, I think for this, sure. oddly enough, it's a, it's a time where things are costly and some things mm -hmm. are like on their face less possible, but it's also like a time of like great opportunity and like, you know, like if you have a vision and you can connect with people and get, get all the pieces together, there's a lot that can be done. Well, to finish with a quote from Chairman Mao, chaos is under heaven, conditions are excellent, right? <laughs> like that's the, you know, I think we should think about this as a big opportunity uh, to reframe this debate. And I'm glad that uh, you're on Team Nuclear for that. Um, so everybody, you can find Grant's Twitter and his articles from the Free Up blog and stuff in the show notes. Uh, give him a follow, read his stuff. Grant, thanks so much for coming by. Uh, I've been spoiling to do this with you for like a year at least. So I'm glad it finally happened, buddy. Yeah. Thank you so much. It was a great time and uh, yeah, keep, keep up the great work. Nuclear yeah. barbarian. Let's go. <laughs> Likewise. So everybody remember, stay sharp, stay strong and stay radiant. We will see you next time.